What I thought I'd like to do this morning is um, is really take a retrospective look at the beginning of since the beginning of the year, and then try and point forward to this new school year. And it's always strange. Um, always feels like there's a new year, isn't it, all the time? Because I mean, there's new year in, in January, but then there's the school new year. So it's kind of like, where do you make your new year? Well, so there's a new year starting now for all the students. And so I thought it'd be good just to take a retrospective look at. Um, what God spoke to the church at the beginning of the year, and then going forward, perhaps what God would encourage us uh, with this year. And I want to I call this living with expectation. Living with expectation. And I think for me that's one of the growing um, desires in my own heart, is that our lives would be, would be featured by a high expectancy of what God can do in us and what God wants to do through us. And so I started in January preaching a number of messages around community, around the church as a, as a community that's compelled by love. And, and there were a number of, of messages that I, I preached around that theme. And I had this phrase that I kept repeating, a community, a covenant community on a mission together. Do you remember that? If you've been part of the church for the last while. A covenant community on a mission together. And quite simply, to use that to say this, that the mission that we have as believers is very simple. The mission that we have as believers is to live out and to preach the gospel through our lives uh, as we follow Christ, and to preach the good news of God's grace, His kindness, His mercy to everyone that we can, our friends, our family, students at school, wherever we have opportunity to do so, and in that way to see His kingdom come, and to see His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we pray, and that's what we believe. And so it's very simply a very simple mission. And so out of that, I then continued this kind of journey that we've been on in James and the, the series called Dazzling Christianity. And really, that was to, is to try and root us all in the gospel. It's to try and root us all in the good news. It's try to root us all in this very simple thing. What does it mean to be rooted in Christ? And once we start to understand what it means to be rooted in Christ and to be rooted in the gospel, it does change everything. It simply changes everything. And... Um, and Tim Keller uses this, this phrase, grace changes everything. Well, grace does change everything when you understand the grace of God in your life and what he's done for you. And so one of the most important results of that, of, of understanding the gospel, is that we not only know that we should be loving each other and loving God and loving our families, but that, that we passionately are in love with God's church. And for me, that's a, that is a most important uh, result of, the, of a, of a biblical understanding of the gospel, that we really love his church, that we are really are planted in his family. I'm not just talking about being saved and being part of the universal church. I'm talking about being saved and being part of a local community, passionately committed to the local church. And one of the, a growing desire, a growing, um, not desire, concern that I have is the sense of, uh, I've spoken of this uh, over this last year, is this modern-day idol of individualism and how it is radically impacting, in a negative way, the church. And the gospel doesn't call us to an individualistic, selfish lifestyle. The spirit of the age calls us to an individualistic, selfish lifestyle. The gospel calls us to an other-centered, unselfish life that lives for other people and lives for the poor, and lives for the lost, and lives for the broken. It's completely opposite to the spirit of the age. And it's a challenging thing. And that can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, working in us and through us. And so in, in summary, over this last year, I've been trying to challenge myself 
and all of us as a, a community of, of friends in two primary areas, very simply. One, this high call that we all have under the grace of God to live out and preach the gospel in our lives and through our lives. And all of us are preachers. Whether you're a nurse, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a student, whether you're a housewife, whatever you do, you are preaching the gospel through your life. You are showing people Jesus by who you are. I read this wonderful thing um, by Martin Luther this last week. He was talking about good, good works. What are good works? And he used this illustration. He said, for Christians, every work that we do, because we are in Christ, every work that we do is a good work. And so he used this illustration. He said, whether you are shoveling manure, obviously in his, um, in his time people used to do that for a living, whether you are shoveling manure or whether you are a university professor, which he was, everything that flows out of your life is a good work because you are in Christ." You and I are preachers of the gospel in how we live our lives. Whether you serve Jesus as a physiotherapist, whether you serve Jesus walking dogs, whether you are a teacher, whether you are going to Romania, your life preaches the gospel. It's a call that we all have. I want to encourage you in that, and continue to encourage you in that. And secondly, I try to, I've been trying to encourage us as a community of believers, that we have this commitment under grace, this high call to preach the good news, but also to build this local community of faith as a band of brothers, brothers and sisters that are covenanted together. Part of our holidays, we went to Normandy, and uh, I have an interest in history, so we went to uh, the military museum in Cannes. And um, we went to some of the beaches where the normally landings happened. And uh, I find it incredibly moving to go and see what those men did. And uh, we came back, and as a family, we watched Band of Brothers. Have you ever watched that movie? And it's basically about Easy Company, which was one of the first airborne battalions that would drop behind enemy lines. And uh, the last episode says an amazing thing. The guys, they interview some of the men that survived this whole um, ordeal. And the guy says, he says, one of the, 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 these old men, he says, there's something special that happens when you share a foxhole with somebody and you are in a battle with somebody. There's a brotherhood. There's a, there's a knitting of hearts that happens in, a, in, in the battleground that can never be broken. And it spoke to me because I think church life is a little bit like that. <laughs> we, we're not at, we, we are fighting a war. <laughs> we are fighting a spiritual battle against powers and principalities, and there's a magnificent thing that happens in our hearts when we are in the foxhole together, when we go through the good times together, and when we go through the bad times together, and God takes us through, there's a relationship that is deep, that is built. And that's what I'm trusting for in this community of, of believers, that we'll have that kind of friendship and, and trust and love for each other that won't be broken. Because of Christ in us, the hope of glory. All right. And so I, at the beginning of the year, I, I, I gave five personal things that I was trusting for this year. And I just want to remind you of them. The first was this. I said, I have faith this year that God can more fully fashion us into a community of faith that loves Him and loves each other. Very simple. And I've seen that growing over the year. And I trust that you encourage that that is happening. That there's more and more a genuine love for Jesus and a love for each other. And that's being expressed in many ways. Secondly, I said, I have faith that this year the church can see many added through salvations. 
And we have seen many added through salvations, which is wonderful. Uh, I, I put some numbers to it. I said, I'm trusting the church to grow f- to at least 300 from 70 active families to 120 active families. Well, we're not quite there yet. But if you are visiting the church, uh, let, me, let me say that we have prayed for you. And I genuinely can say that. If you are looking at making this church a home, we have prayed for you in our prayer times. We've prayed regularly that God would add people to this family that are lost and broken, that need healing, that need restoration, that need to know Him, that need their marriages restored, that need physical healing, that they would find Him, the great King. So uh, whatever your background, we, I want to say to you, we've prayed for you, genuinely. We have prayed for you, that you would come and you would join and become part of this community of believers. And so, the third thing I said was, I believe that all of us can be so changed by the Spirit that we live more for others than we do for our own selfish needs. That's a magnificent challenge. I've loved the Olympic Games. We got given tickets to go and see the Paralympics this um, last weekend, and I was absolutely useless. Uh, I find it completely emotionally overwhelming. Uh, I mean, I think, you, you know, Usain Bolt is, is, is a wonderful man. I'm not saying he's a... But it really gets to me the amount of primping and preening and all this stuff and aren't I magnificent? Yes, he is magnificent, but he had nothing to do with his own magnificence. He was given a gift and he can run fast. But then when you see people that have lost their legs and cerebral palsy people that are running... It's overwhelming, the bravery of people. Anyway, I'm getting distracted. But living more for others than we live for our own selfish needs. Fourthly, I say this. Our faith that as we seek first the kingdom, all these things will be added to us. All these things. What are all these things? Family, friends, financial provision, his future signs and wonders, the Holy Spirit in an added measure. Jesus promises us if we seek first his kingdom, all these things will be added to us. And it's a mystery of the kingdom that if you want love in your life, Jesus says give love away and you will receive what you give away. And so that's what we want to see more and more as the church grows. And I said, fifthly, I have faith that through this year, through the faithful and sacrificial giving of this community, no ministry would lack in people or in finance so we can become a giving church in every way. A giving church in every way. I, I want to say we desire to get back to a place where we are giving away more than 10% of our income every month, not consuming it, but giving it away to people that are going out to serve Jesus in whatever area, into supporting work in St. Albans that is, that is uh, ministering to people in very different areas. We can only give what we've got, and we want to see that increase. And so I'm appealing to you in the midst of this economic situation that we still are generous people, that we trust God and we give generously so we can be a blessing to other people. Yeah? And so I've largely, just reflecting on that, I've been really encouraged as I, as I had a look at those things that I personally was trusting God for, to see them being fulfilled in varying degrees. And so I want to encourage you that we look with eyes of faith at what God wants to do. And as we look forward into this new year, I want to reference something that I did say already about living with expectation. And I want to read to you a very small portion out of Isaiah, Isaiah 6, verse 1 and 2, which says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. 
sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two they covered their face, with two covered the feet, and two covered where, uh, with two he flew. And they called to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah has this amazing revelation of God. And so I want to ask you, at the beginning of this school year, I want to ask you to honestly reflect. I want to ask you to take a moment right now to reflect. I'm going to ask you some questions. I want you to answer them honestly. Are you a little bored with your Christian life? Are you bored with church life? Is it routine for you? Are you really, if you're honest, are you perhaps a little bored with God? I, we've all done, you know, we've done this before. We've been saved for many years, um, and I don't say this to accuse anyone, but I say this because I've had to, over the years, I've had to ask those questions of myself. And I have to say this: if the answer is yes, or even maybe to any one of those questions, then I want to say that you and I, we risk this that we are becoming religious people. We are becoming religious people. That we are doing stuff out of religious ritual rather than out of expectation and love for Jesus. Thomas Kelly is a writer. He said this, People nowadays take time far more seriously than they do eternity. They take time far more seriously than they do eternity. So I believe this, and again, please, I'm speaking to my own heart. I'm not accusing anyone. If we are bored with our faith, if we are bored with the church, if we are bored with church life, we have become ensnared in the same trap that Thomas Kelly was warning us about. The the thing that he observed has become true for us. Time has become more important than what is eternal. And so we get bogged down. We lose sight of this big thing that God has called us to, the preaching of His gospel, declaring His goodness and His kindness to everyone that we can, and we come bogged down in the mundane, the day-to-day, and time, the temporal, the now, becomes much more important than eternity. And so I want to encourage you this morning, whatever your experience is right now in your life, whether you are feeling encouraged, whether you're feeling refreshed, whether you're facing challenges like Becky's family is facing right now, I want to say to you that God, what you're experiencing right now is not what the fullness that God has for you. There is much, much, much more that God has for you in your life and for this church, all right? And I believe there's a longing in every single one of us. I believe there's a longing in all of humanity, whether people are saved or not, whether people know Jesus or not. There's a deep longing for meaning in people's lives and that they want to be connected to something that is bigger than themselves. Why do you think two and a half million people have gone to the Olympic Games and and the Paralympic Games? That's what they're estimating the, the, the ticket sales are going to be. Two and a half million people going to those games. Why do you think that is so? Because people want to be connected to something that is bigger than themselves. There's an amazing thing that happens when you sit in a stadium of 80,000 people and you're all cheering together. People want that sense of connection to something that is much bigger than themselves. Why? Because there's a desire for something called transcendence in our hearts. 
something that takes us above mundane things, something that takes us out of our circumstance and our daily dull routine. It takes us out of that and we connect to something bigger than us. And so some people have tried over years and years to do that without God. They start with themselves. And that's what, have you heard this word humanism? Humanism is a basic philosophy that's been around for a number of centuries which basically says that man starting from himself, without any supernatural uh, influence in his life, man starting from himself can reason scientifically and think himself to higher levels of evolution and higher levels of consciousness. That's basically what humanism says. We don't need God. We can do it all ourselves. And that is the overriding uh, culture that we've grown up in. We don't need God. We can do it all ourselves. All we need is science. All we need is education. We just need to educate people more, and they will become better people. That's a humanistic outlook on life. That is not the gospel. (laughs) The gospel says we are all dirty, rotten scoundrels that need a Savior. You are all sinners under our own hats. And I've just been fascinated as... um, over the last while, I read in the newspaper this week that um, they are now offering graduates 45 to 50,000 pounds, top graduates out of university, to try and entice top graduates back into the banking sector. Because the banking sector has got such a poor reputation right now. And once again, we have another banking scandal about Barclays and other banks selling stuff to people they shouldn't have been selling stuff to or making deals with people they shouldn't have been making deals with. There's a just a dishonesty everywhere. We desperately need the gospel. And I'm not saying that to accuse any banker. I'm just saying there seems to be a, there seems to be like a, just a, a lack of what is right and what is wrong. And money is the, the primary motivation for everything. And if we make a buck, it's all okay. And we don't matter who we hurt and get in the way. And I, I believe God wants his church to rise up and to make a difference. And how many of you um, leave university saying you really want to change the world? And how many people actually end up 20, 30, 40 years later having just served corporate greed and served the system and not changed the world? And so I want to say as Christian believers, we, we might think we're immune to those things. I don't think we are immune to those things. We might, um, we might know the source we might know Christ, the transcendent one, but we can also become so distracted by things around us that we lose sight of him. And all I'm trying to do this morning is to encourage you to lift your eyes once again at the beginning of this year and to live with the expectation of what God can do in you and what God can do through you. He is the all-magnificent one that we give our lives for. And so, you know, all across the world there are people who try and, try and find meaning in all sorts of different ways. And I have a, our house in Nascot Wood is very close. It's about a mile and a half from the town center. I'm one of those people that needs to sleep with the window open. Helen likes to sleep with the window closed, but then I normally wake up at three o'clock in the morning just absolutely overcooked and I have to throw off all the bedclothes and get out and drink some water. And are you, any of you like that? But you see, that I've, I've, I found this, the downside of opening my window when the, when the window is, is closed and it's double glazed, it's silent and it's beautiful. And you can sleep. When you open the window, what happens every Friday night, well, every Saturday morning at about between 2 and 4, 
every Saturday morning, and like this morning, Sunday morning between 2 and 4, the inebriated ones from the town center, <laughs> they march shouting and just happy as Larry for those couple of hours as they stagger back to find their homes. And uh, why am I saying that? Because, you know, even for me, for me, that is a sign for me that people are searching for transcendence and they don't even know it. What are they doing? They're going to the town center to get blitzed out of their mind because their dull routine, their daily routine, the daily ground of getting up early on the train, getting to London, getting back, this daily ground of routine is, for many people, is meaningless. And so what do they do? They go out on a Friday night and they get blitzed. They go out on a Saturday night and they get blitzed. And for one moment, they lose that sense of, of the, the routine and dull, and there's a sense of I don't know what, but <laughs> sense of something. And other people, 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 people do it in different ways. People go paintballing. People watch MasterChef. People play golf. I, I love golf. But for lo- if we're honest, for most people, it's an escape. Just to escape the routine, just to escape the boredom, just to escape out of this thing that we're caught in. And so we try and change our circumstances. I want to say to you, it's not the circumstances that need to change, it's us. It's Him that we need to be seeking with all of our hearts. When we start being satisfied in Him, we don't need all the distractions, those things. Amen? And so, I want to encourage you with that this morning. Um, talk spoke last week of retail therapy. And uh, I've been into London over this holiday time, and there's, there's regular people with bulging bags from... Harrods or the Apple Store or Selfridges or whatever. How many men think their life actually is going to change when they get the 46-inch television screen? They actually think their life is going to change. <laughs> it's, it's all going to be better. The bigger the screen, size matters. If I can just get a big screen, my life will have meaning. No, you just need to get some glasses. <laughs> and I've said this before, but the top two holiday destinations in the world, Las Vegas, Disneyland, Florida. The two places most people go on holiday, the gambling capital of the world and the fantasy capital of the world. I rest my case. That says it. That's what people are motivated by. Fantasy and getting out of reality. And they, you know, the holidays, once in a lifetime holiday. This will change your life forever. And so you spend whatever it is, 10 grand, and you go to Florida for a week with your family, and you come back, you spend the money, and your life is exactly the same. It has not changed one iota. So, I am going somewhere with this. And then, and then there's a search for, for greater spiritual meaning. And so people also search for, for meaning spiritually. And uh, I'm not knocking any other person, but over the, I've been serving God for 20 years full time now. And I have seen over the years, I have seen different moves of God. And people rush off to this part of the world or that part of the world to have the latest thing. 
And God often is in, in those things. But A.W. Tozer says something very interesting. He says, what first comes into our mind when we are caused to think about God is the most important thing about us. What first comes into my mind. And I think the problem that I've seen over the last um, years is that many who profess to follow Jesus have a, have, have a, a superficial understanding of, who, of God. And I don't say it in a condescending way. Uh, and what we think about him is limited because ultimately we are motivated by a self-indulgent, self-centeredness that looks at God out of what he can do for us. And our basic motivation is that God really is the genie in the bottle. Just when I need healing, rub the bottle, the genie pops, and he answers my question. Say, yes, I'll heal you. Of course I will. I'm a good God. Really is a, a designer kind of deity there to fix up our lives and to make us more comfortable and to feel good about ourselves and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm more and more convinced that is not the gospel. I'm more and more convinced that that is the spirit of the age that infiltrates the church. Jesus never promised that we were going to have an easy life. He did promise us that in our lives, whatever we were facing, he would be with us. That's a different thing. Completely different thing. I'm fascinated by how much of our church expectation is essentially Western, very, very Western, very, very middle class, I want to encourage you to go to Romania. I want to encourage you, we're going to take a trip to Slovakia, Slovenia at the, uh, to go and be part of Peter's church. Go and see how some people live, Christians live in non-Western places. I want to encourage you, maybe we should trip, take a trip to India, the church. Maybe we should go to India and see if the gospel that we preach here is the same gospel that we preach there. Because the gospel has to be able to work if it's true. It works in the same way in, in, in India as it does in the West. And we can't preach something different in India. God wants to make you all wealthy and rich. I was saying to some guys, I, I, um, there's a gospel that's been preached over the last while, last 20 years, is this. If you are being successful in business, it is an automatic sign that God is with you. That it's the blessing of God. I want to say to you, rubbish. Why do I say that? Because there are some skills that have been given you out of the common grace of God that have nothing to do with salvation whatsoever. Do you think that the Chelsea owner, Abramovich, do you think that he's a... He, um, he's, I don't know if he's a godly man, I'm just saying. Do you think he's made his money... How's he, how's he made his money? He has certain skills that he has, whether he's a Christian or not. He makes the money. You hear what I'm saying? You might very well be blessed by God, and he might give you loads of money, but he might not, might not be what he has for you. You understand what I'm saying? And we've bought into that thing. The church has bought into that thing. Actually, if you are being blessed, it auto automatically means that you are right with God. I want to say it does not automatically mean you are right with God. Yeah? And this is a, it's because of this kind of mindset that we have of God fix me and God make me feel better that much of the church in the West has lost its joy, it's lost its sense of greatness, it's lost its sense of transcendence, it's lost the sense of power and majesty of God, and the church is dull, routine, boring because it is bored. 
And so, uh, you know, I want to point the finger at myself as a church, uh, a leader in the church. Ch- church leaders do the same thing. They want to limit God so that God is predictable, God is portable. Uh, they, they, you know, when you're leading a church, you don't want things to change too much, you know. <laughs> Isn't it true? That's the natural thing. Everyone likes things we like it. We don't want it to change too much. So we're not open to change. And so we have Pentecostal versions of Jesus. We have charismatic versions of Jesus. We have Roman Catholic versions of Jesus. And I'm, I just need to name them all because I'm not trying to knock anyone. We, we have free church versions of Jesus. The point is that I'm making is that it's our version of Jesus. Yes? And so we like our version of Jesus, and uh, that's why we have joyless, tired religion in the church, because it's not really fixed on the transcendent one, the one who's above all. There's no, the joy doesn't come because we've lost our joy when our, 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 our eye is not focused on him. And all I'm trying to say is, in terms of this thing of living with expectation, that's, that's not what happened with Isaiah. Something radical happened with Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I want to ask you this morning, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen him for yourself? Have you seen, have you experienced something of that wonder? Perhaps you've been a Christian for many years. Perhaps, perhaps the cry of all of our hearts should be, God, that wonder again of when I first met you, restore to me that kind of wonder again. I want to live with that kind of wonder. I want to live with that kind of expectation. I want to say to you as a church, if we come every Sunday with the expectation that nothing is going to happen, do you know what's going to happen? Nothing. If we come to church on a Sunday with no expectation that anyone's going to be healed, do you know what will happen? No one will be healed. If we come with the expectation that the worship is going to be boring... Uh, the worship will be boring. Why? Because we are just boring ourselves. It's got nothing to do with the musicians. It's just that we are boring, lifeless people. There's no joy. I am smiling behind my beard, all right? I'm trying trying to smile. I'm, I'm, I'm really not trying to hammer you, guys. I'm trying to encourage you and say, come on, let's live with a sense of expectation of what God can do in us and through us. That when we get together every Sunday, it's going to be glorious. It's like, it will be the highlight of the week because God comes in an amazing way when his people get together, just to say that they love him. I love uh, John Piper. He says this. He's an American writer and theologian. He said, uh, there's a a guy called Jonathan Edwards who who led a revival in America, and uh, Piper says he, he loves to read Jonathan Edwards in the 21st century because he says, we live in an atmosphere that's too dense with man. Man is too important to us. Man is too important to us. And that's so true. And that's why Isaiah is such an important portion for us to, to meditate on. In the year that King Isaiah, Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I want to ask you, have you got an expectation to meet with Jesus every time we get together? Every time you get together in someone's home, just for friendship's sake and for breaking of bread and for prayer, have you an expectation that Jesus is going to meet with you? I think we're too concerned with political correctness. We're too concerned with our own needs. We're too concerned with people, that people are going to like us, people are going to dislike us. Um, I'm not sure that Isaiah cared about those things after he encountered Jesus. didn't care anymore. I certainly know as a, as, as a church leader, it's one of the things that I've had to, to allow God to put to death in my life. I don't say this to be unkind to anybody, but I really don't care what people think of me anymore. 
<laughs> I've got no reputation anyway. My reputation was dealt with many years ago. I don't have a reputation. I'm doing this because I love Jesus and I want to serve him. And that's it. And I don't care what people think. I love you guys. I'm not saying I don't care about what you think about me. I do. But generally I don't care. (laughs) Why? Because if I cared, my life would just be up and down, up and down, up and down. Oh, this person doesn't love me. That person doesn't love me. This person's left. That person's joined. It's just, it's too exhausting. Can't live like that. We live for the audience of one. We live for him. And so, I conclude with this. We all need a supernatural encounter with Jesus. And I want to encourage you at the beginning of this year, we all need a supernatural encounter with Jesus. We need to be overwhelmed with his glory, just like in the worship time this morning, there was a sense of wonder and awe, and we are overwhelmed with his glory. And I'm convinced that that will produce what we are all longing for. How many of you are longing for a revived church? I am. I'm longing for a revived church. I don't want to just hear what's happening in Reading. I love what's happening in Reading in California. I want it to happen here. That's only going to happen when you and I get excited about Jesus, are passionate about Him, are living for Him. When you get together, there's an expectation that God is going to move, God is going to do something. It's the only way it's going to happen. And so, we can't buy joy. You can't buy it like a drug. You can't drink it like a bottle of water. You can't, you can't find it in making money. Joy only comes in the place that Isaiah found joy. In that moment when he saw God, joy was released to him. And his whole world actually was falling down at that point. Do you realize that? His whole, the whole political arena in which he was, uh, was a part of changed radically when Uzziah died and his, his, his own, his own situation didn't change for the good. And yet he says in that place he saw God and something wonderful happened and joy floods into his life and he's transformed and he lives differently. My friends, that's what we need. That's what I need. That's what you need. And we've grown up in this culture that is unbelievably complacent. Uh, it's unbelievably idolatrous. I've, I've spoken a little bit about the banking stuff, and I mean, you know all the stuff that's happened in the last couple of years. Just every week, a new story of another thing. We need a terrifying encounter with Jesus. A terrifying encounter that's going to burn away every degraded, limited concept of who he is and what he can do. And there's this incredible self-centered presumption, arrogance, unbelievable crass greed that we, we are seeing in our nation. And that's only going to change when Jesus is on the throne of our hearts and he changes us. And one by one, people are changed. That's where my hope is. I think the governments do good jobs, but actually, at the end of the day, Jesus change, changes people. And so... If you are disillusioned with media spin, if you are disillusioned with many things in the nation, if you are longing for political leaders who have integrity, if you are longing for business leaders that have integrity, I want to encourage you to cry out with all of your hearts that God would awaken his church, that God would awaken you, that God would awaken me, 
Because that is what's going to stop the decay in our nation, is when people change by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as people change, communities change. As people change that lead businesses, businesses will change. It's a righteousness and joy that upholds a nation. So my question to you this morning has been a little bit of a, I wish the kind of a all-around kind of message this morning, but I trust you get my heart. What is your expectation of what God can do through you this year? Have you a desire to see God use you in an amazing, amazing way? Are you wanting God to meet with you in the same way that God met with Isaiah? Amen? I'm convinced that as we do that, as we seek that with all of our hearts, as we put Jesus at the center of our lives, he will give us a glimpse of his power, his greatness, his majesty, and he will do amazing things in and through us for the city and for this nation. But this is the difference. When it starts to happen, it will be on his terms, not ours, and it will be his measure of success and not our measure of success. And that ultimately is the difference. Amen. So can I pray for you? And let's, uh, maybe, maybe you can lay hands on someone next to you, just as a sign of saying, God, please come, anoint us, anoint us with your power. Father, we come to you this morning as, uh, as your sons and your daughters, we come to you as a representation of this church. We thank you for the people that are not here this morning, the guys that are still away on holiday, and uh, I thank you, Lord, that you're still doing the same thing with all of us. I just pray right now, Lord, for your Holy Spirit power to come and encourage us and refresh us. Lord, we desperately need you. Lord, we, 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 we need to encounter you just like Isaiah did. We, we need to see you high and lifted up. Lord, when our lives are, are changing and circumstances are changing around us, we need to see you high and lifted up. We need to see you seated on the throne. And Lord, we know that our lips are unclean. We, we, we know that, but we thank you for the cleansing power of your blood. And I simply pray, Lord, for every single person here this morning. I pray, Lord, for right now, even as I'm praying, there will be a release of your Holy Spirit that would change us, a release of your Holy Spirit which would give us the boldness to declare the goodness and kindness of God to everyone that we can through our lives, that there would be grace, that we'd be able to say no to all kinds of ungodliness, not because we're being forced to, but because we want to, because your spirit inside of us is motivating us in a different way. And we trust you for that, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I simply want to speak your blessing over Forest Town, over this community, over every single church in this uh, nation that preaches the good news, the gospel of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would prosper your church this year. I pray that we would continue to see many people saved, many people added, many people restored, many people healed because of your great power in our lives. And we simply trust you for that in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.